Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, will you turn back with me to Acts chapter 9 where we were just reading a moment ago. And we'll look at verses 23 through the end of the chapter, through verse 43 this morning. And it was uh, last week we learned of Saul trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior. Uh, God took the greatest persecutor of the church and he transformed him into one of the greatest preachers of the gospel. What, What happened right after that? Um, that's the subject of our study together this morning. On your outline uh, there in the bulletin and in how I am going to refer to him most of the time from here on out, um, you will notice I've already changed his name from Saul to Paul. That doesn't officially happen uh, or occur in the book of Acts for about four more chapters yet, and it's not any kind of big um, event. All of a sudden, they just start calling him Paul. Um, but he's a new creation now, Amen. He's a new creation now. His life has been transformed by Jesus Christ. And the, uh, the ascended Christ, he's going to continue his work by his Holy Spirit through Christians. That's the message of the book of Acts. And it's what's recorded here in verses 23 through 43. Before we study it together, let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit, who's present here in the life of every single person who's trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, present and dwelling us. Lord, I, I pray that he fill us. Even right now, we, we pray for this together, that, that as we study your word, your Holy Spirit has his ministry of illumination uh, be completely unobstructed, that we would understand what it is you want us to know in this passage of scripture you've given to us. Um, more important, um, not that we just know it, not that we would just be a little bit more informed about what went on here, but that we would leave here transformed Uh, That is our prayer, that the Holy Spirit would take the word of God and he'd continue the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, right here, right now, this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first section here uh, of this account, it details Paul's escape from Damascus. But before we get to that, there's actually an unrecorded intermission here. Uh, Verse 23 says this, after that many days were fulfilled. And we need to pause there uh, for a moment because this really is many days. In fact, it's probably about three years. Uh, Paul's escape from Damascus that's described here, it did not happen immediately after his conversion, after the restoration of his sight, after he was baptized, and um, after the preaching he did right after. Um, According to Galatians chapter 1, Paul left Damascus uh, a first time, and he went to Arabia uh, for a good while, about three years, and then he returned here to Damascus. That's what this is speaking of. We're not told why he did this in Galatians. Most theologians uh, believe it was to study God's word in preparation for the ministry God would call him to, his great missionary endeavors. That makes sense to me. Um, I hope you understand that Paul had a very developed theology prior to getting saved. 
He, he knew more about God's word, especially the Old Testament, obviously, um, than probably any of us here. Um, he was a Pharisee. I mean, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He knew. He knew God's word thoroughly. But it wasn't until he had trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, it wasn't until he received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that he could truly understand it. He could connect all of the dots in the Old Testament and see that they were pointing to and they were promising the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior. This book is all about him, amen? From, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus Christ. Um, when the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to pen the book of Acts, uh, we be better not see it as like a completely detailed uh, historical account of every single event in the birth and growth of the church of Jesus Christ. This is just one example uh, of some unrecorded intermission that we can piece together from other scripture passages uh, like in Galatians chapter 1. So Paul is back right here. Paul is back in Damascus now after his, his little study sabbatical in Arabia. And the former persecutor... Now he's become the persecuted. The rest of verse 23 says the Jews took counsel to kill him. And then we see this rather unusual evasion of Paul. Verse 24 lets us know that Paul became aware of their plans to kill him. They were watching the gates of Damascus day and night. A 24-7 guard was posted there to arrest Paul, uh, ultimately to assassinate him. And so in verse 25, Paul has a rather unusual evasion tactic. It says that the disciples took him during the nighttime and they let him down the outside wall of Damascus in a basket. Paul actually mentions that event in his second recorded letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 11, 32, and 33. And um, what God had uh, promised Paul through Ananias that we studied together last week. Do you remember that? In Acts 9, 16, God told Ananias, I'm going to show Paul how many things he must suffer for my sake. What God had promised, that's now begun. Paul has gone from a respected member of the Sanhedrin, from a prominent member of Jewish society, to a hunted man with a target on his back. He lost a lot by worldly standards, but uh, I think his testimony in Philippians 3.8 is a testimony every Christian should have. He says there, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them garbage, that I may gain Jesus Christ. Now let's look at Paul's experience in Jerusalem, verses 26 to 31. Paul's actually discipled there, and we see it in verses 26 and 29. Verse 26 says that Paul eventually made his way to Jerusalem, and it says that he essayed, in the King James, he essayed to join himself to the disciples there. I think we can understand why. Uh, Jerusalem, it is pretty much still the, the primary bastion of the church of Jesus Christ, its main headquarters. It is uh, where the church was born. It is where the gospel is being, um, missionaries of the gospel are being sent out from. Uh, it's where those who actually walked and talked with Jesus Christ, the, the disciples who became apostles, it's where they are still centrally located. Paul had a desire to meet and fellowship with these believers here at Jerusalem. That should be the desire of every Christian. 
God has given us this church. God has given us the church of Jesus Christ because we need it so that we continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord, and we need it so that we can be on mission for the Lord through the church. But what was their reaction there? <laughs> what was the Christians in Jerusalem's reaction when Paul walks into Jerusalem? They weren't too sure about this guy. That's understandable, isn't it? I mean, considering everything he had done, the second part of verse 26 tells us that they were afraid of him and they believed not that he was a disciple. Well, I bet they were. This was the, the havoc causer. That's who had just walked in. I, I'm sure that many of them uh, had been in prison or they knew a loved one who was, maybe worse. Maybe they had a loved one who, had, who was killed because of Paul, who was Saul's former activities. And we need to recognize that this is a very critical point uh, in the church. What would they do with this life that had just been transformed? Would they continue on in understandable cynicism? And if they did, what would be Paul's reaction? Why don't you think about that? What if when you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you came to church to continue your growth, as a believer, what if you were met with this kind of reaction there, where people were afraid of you? Um, people questioning the validity of your salvation. I'm afraid it happens more than it, it should. And I'm not saying because God's word doesn't say that, that we should not have you know, some type of a level of discernment or a period of time before we plug somebody into certain ministry opportunities or, or leadership positions. God tells us. He tells us to do that. You need to wait for a while. There should be like a watch care relationship before they are plugged into certain leadership positions or ministry opportunities. I'm glad the church did that just a few chapters ago when Simon the sorcerer said, yeah, I'm saved. And of course, he had ulterior motives, we learned. And so it was just a profession. He didn't truly possess Christ as a Savior. But, but at the same time, to not welcome a person uh, with Christ-like love who's recently come to know Jesus as Savior, who, whose life has recently been transformed, to not do that, it'll have a stunting effect uh, on their becoming a growing disciple of our Lord, or, or worse. So thank God... For Barnabas, look at verse 27. It says, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him, and he brought him to the apostles, and he declared unto them how Paul had seen the Lord in the way, and that Jesus had spoken to Paul, and that Paul had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Thank God for Christians like Ananias last week who wasn't too scared to go meet with Paul. And thank God for Barnabas. Thank God for followers of Jesus who won't let doubt get in the way of making disciples. Do you know what Barnabas' name means? Son of encouragement. He was, wasn't he? He was for Paul, for sure. Uh, lived up to that name. Let's look again at the description of how Barnabas discipled Paul uh, that we're given uh, there in verse 27. First of all, it says he took him. So while so many others, even understandably, they might have been a little leery of beginning a relationship, maybe even offering, oh, Paul, a handshake, uh, Barnabas took. Barnabas took him. There, there's some personal contact implied there. And he brought Paul to the others. Barnabas knew that Paul needed the church 
and that the church needed Paul. <laughs> Barnabas facilitated other interactions with believers there that would contribute to Paul's discipleship. And then finally, Barnabas vouched, personally vouched for him. He shared Paul's testimony with them to assure them of this life transformed by Jesus. There are some good lessons there for how you and I should interact with new believers, aren't there? Now, one little verse. And then would you look at the result? Verse 28 and 29 inform us that Paul was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he disputed with the Grecians. Because Barnabas would not let fear get in the way of doing what Jesus commissioned him to do, make disciples, Paul begins to share the gospel here in Jerusalem now, specifically with the Grecians, these Hellenistic Jews. Um, and he successfully argued uh, that Jesus was the Messiah with them to the point they couldn't dispute him. They had nothing uh, to come back with, and so they did what the Jews in Damascus did. Verse 29 says that they went about to slay Paul, so they want to kill him too. And that causes the departure of Paul from Jerusalem. Verses 30 and 31, we learn in verse 30 that the brethren here, there's a couple of names for Christians here. That's the first time we see it. Saints was mentioned earlier. Now brethren. They haven't been called Christians yet. That's coming. Uh, the brethren here in Jerusalem, they do what the Christians in Damascus did. They helped Paul escape this threat. They brought Paul down to, to Caesarea, and then they sent him on to Tarsus. That's Paul's hometown. He's actually there for about, probably about 10 years before he started his first missionary journey. I don't know about you, but that's fascinating to me. When I look at those maps in the Bible, and typically I think everything's happening like this in the book of Acts, but there's, there's some time that goes on here. So he's in Tarsus. Verse 31 says that then, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. There is a pause in at least the intensity of the persecution that they have been enduring. And it says that they were edified. The churches were edified. They were built up. It says that they continued walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And they were what? What's the last part? They were multiplied. Well, that's a good thing. That's our goal. Ah, the Great Commission continues. And please notice what is between them being edified, built up, things going really well uh, for once. What's between that and the Great Commission success of multiplication? What is the key to that being there and our, even right now, the key to that being our experience? It's Christians who are walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Listen, if we don't have that, we won't have what they had. It's that simple. If we have Christians walking in the fear of anything else, if we have Christians who are not walking in the fear of the Lord, who are unconcerned about living in submission to God's word and his will for their lives, if we don't have Christians who find their comfort in the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit, but who instead uh, pointlessly look for comfort and joy and peace and happiness in the things of this world, will then plan on being part of a church that's not edified, that's not built up, that's not growing, that's not multiplying, that's not actively being part of the great commission that Jesus gave us. We'd better follow their lead here, right? And while the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, it, it definitely dominates the entire rest of the book of Acts, um, this is not a biography uh, about him. Don't forget, you'll probably be tired of hearing, I hope you are tired of hearing me say this by the time we get through this. This is a record of the continuing work of Jesus Christ. It didn't stop when he went up to heaven. 
It's a record of the continuing work of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit through his followers. Why is that so important to me and what God is emphasizing here? Because it's what God wants happening today, <laughs> the continuing work of Jesus Christ in Dublin by his Holy Spirit through his followers. God wanting us to, I mean, in a very real way, write new chapters of Acts this morning and this week and this year. I also got Peter's efforts to Israel and change characters here. I like what verse 32 says. It says that, and it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. What has Peter been up to? Because this has really been focused on Paul for about two chapters now. Well, Peter's involved in the Great Commission. Uh, he's following the deacon Philip's lead. He's, he's starting to leave Jerusalem and go out sharing the gospel. It says he's passing through all quarters. That means all areas. He's taking the gospel here, there, and everywhere. First of all, in Lydda, uh, I know a few of you have traveled to Israel. Uh, Rodney, right? I don't know if anybody else has. Um, I'd like to. I haven't had the opportunity yet. And, and in like one sense, I figure we're all going to be there one day, right? We are. <laughs> Well, it's going to be the center of worship in the millennium. Yeah. New heavens, new earth. We're all going to be there one day. Well, well, if you've been to Israel, you've been to Lydda. You might not have known it, um, but you have, because that is, is where, uh, I know Ben-Gurion International Airport, officially it's in Tel Aviv, but that's like saying uh, RDUs in Raleigh or Durham. It's not. It's in Morrisville. And um, the airport there is it's actually in Lydda, which is now known as Lode. And verse 32 says that Peter came down to the saints. And that's something I want to repeatedly stress as we go through Acts, because sometimes um, we can get a goofed up perspective or concept of the Great Commission. Uh, so often, especially in modern American Christianity, when we think of or when we want to be involved in the Great Commission, uh, we only consider evangelistic activity. Do you know what I mean? When I say that, we only consider um, sharing the gospel with the unsaved or witnessing uh, to others so hopefully that they will come uh, to know Christ as their Savior. Now listen, that is unquestionably Great Commission activity, but that is not what Jesus said the Great Commission is all about. What did he tell us to do in Matthew 28, 18 to 20? As you are going, make disciples. <laughs> make disciples. So, so, yes, evangelism, sharing the gospel, that's an important step. It's step number one, uh, for sure. Uh, leading someone to initially trust Christ as their Savior. But for far too long, uh, especially in modern American Christianity, our, our church has seen that as it. I share the gospel. Hopefully they get saved. See you later. Maybe in heaven one day. Hope you're doing good. That's not what Jesus said, disciple-making is. Um, it's lifelong. <laughs> it begins with someone coming to trust Christ as Savior. But we need to see the Great Commission as also helping others continue in Christ. That's what making a disciple is. Growing in their relationship with the Lord. You want, you want to know what disciple making is? It's, be, it's a Barnabas doing what he did for Paul. That's disciple making. And that's what Peter's doing in the rest of this chapter. First here in Lydda, it says he came down to minister to the saints to those who were already saved. And if we think of it like that, and we need to, every, every ministry in our church is a disciple-making ministry. 
Every ministry is a great commission activity. What happens in Lydda? Verse 33 says that Peter found a certain, certain man named uh, Enos, which had kept his bed eight years, and he was sick of the palsy. So Enos had been paralyzed in bed for eight years. And Jesus Christ continued his work here on earth by his Holy Spirit through Peter, through a lame man once before in Acts, didn't he, when they were going into the temple? They told the lame man, lame from birth, who was begging there at the gate of the temple, rise, get up and walk. Peter had seen that. He had seen Jesus do that. Peter watched a couple guys tear apart his mother-in-law's roof and lower their friend down so that Jesus could heal that lame man. And Peter, right here, he just follows the one whom he follows. I mean, using almost the exact same words as Jesus did on that event when that man was lowered down. In verse 34, Peter says, Enos, Christ Jesus maketh thee whole, arise, make thy bed. What happened? Well, the same thing that happened when Jesus healed the lame man. It says he rose immediately. And the response in that community, not just in Lydda, but the whole surrounding area is astounding. Verse 35 says this, And all, all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon, they saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. That phrase, that's a frequent one we see in the book of Acts, for people getting saved, trusting in Christ as Savior. Who did? Everyone who was in that room personally witnessed Peter heal this man? No. God's word says all. The entire village of Lydda got saved. It didn't even stay there. It went to Sharon, the next town over. So, the, yeah, the commission continues. And then again, it does it in Joppa, verses 36 to 43, 12 miles away from Lydda. On the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, in verse 36, we're introduced to a, a sweet Christian lady named Tabitha. Uh, these last few verses in chapter 9, they really resounded with me as I studied the past week. Here's why. Because... Uh, they brought to mind so many Tabithas that we have right here in our church family at Dublin. And it says that she was a woman full of good works and alms deeds. But then verse 37 says that something terrible happened. Tabitha became sick and she died. And the Christians there, they began to prepare her body for burial. In verse 38, we find out that some of the believers... Um, they knew that Peter was in the next town over and they had sent for him. Don't know why. It might have been prior to her death, hoping that he could come and, and heal her. It might have been after because they needed pastoral comfort during that time. In any case, verse 39 lets us know that Peter hurried there. Um, this was an opportunity for Peter to make disciples just as much as anything else that he did or would do. And they welcomed him into the home where the body laid upstairs, and all the widows there with, with tears flowing uh, because of their loss, they show Peter the coats, the garments that, that Tabitha or Dorcas had, had made for them. Uh, my mind immediately leaves this sanctuary just a few steps out there. Does yours down in that hallway where there's hangers full of dresses and stacks of shorts there? By, made by the Tabithas that God's blessed us with here. I think of that OCC room um, and a gym, like Tommy talked about here, a gym that in about two weeks is going to be transformed into an Amazon shipping warehouse. I don't know how Joe and Marie keep it so unchaotic. Um, that's what I think about. Peter sends everybody out of the room where the body lay, and just as Jesus had done when he healed Jairus' daughter, Peter kneels down and he prays. 
I suppose it was something like this. God, God, we know you are powerful. We know you're sovereign and you're always good. We have complete faith in that. But may the work of Jesus Christ continue by the Holy Spirit right here and right now. These people, they have heard of Christ's resurrection. Can they see that same resurrection power in their day? The same power that raised Jesus from the grave, that, that it lives in us, can they see that? And then verse 40 says that Peter turned to the body, and once again, using almost exactly the, the same words that Jesus used to heal Jairus' daughter, Jesus said, uh, Talitha, little girl, Talitha, arise. Peter says, Tabitha, arise. And what happens? Eyes open. Tabitha looks at Peter, probably wondering what he's doing there. She sits up. Peter extends his hand. And he calls the Christians to come and see what Jesus had done. You know, there's only one other time recorded in Acts where a Christian is resurrected. Here it's by Peter, later by Paul. Um, if you've experienced the loss of a loved one, you might wonder, as I do, about other apostolic miracles we've been reading and studying about. Why does this not happen today? Why? And I mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago, I, I tried to explain why. Um, we have to realize they did not have what we have. They did not have the completed, living, powerful, life-transforming word of God like we do. They did not have a single page of the New Testament that was written. Uh, if, if the work of Jesus Christ what was going to continue by his Holy Spirit, through his followers, the apostles would need sign gifts like the Holy Spirit gave them, to validate their ministry, to validate the gospel message. And until the word of God would be completed, apostolic sign gifts were necessary so that others would believe in the gospel message that they shared. And that's exactly what we see happening in verse 42. Like earlier in Lydda, when this was known throughout all of Joppa, what happened? Verse 42 says, many believed in the Lord. There's one more verse here at the end. Um, it's an important transition for what's going to happen in chapter 10. It says Peter stays in Joppa for a while, and he lives with a believer named Simon, who was a leather tanner. And we'll study a little bit more on that in a couple of weeks uh, when we're back here together. There's a lot going on there, isn't there? <laughs> and when I told you this morning, I hope your brain's not as tired as my mouth is. Um, please don't simply think of this as a, a history lesson or a news report. All of this is going on for one reason, because Jesus Christ came to give us life, eternal life with him in heaven one day, new life in Christ right here, right now. And if you've never trusted in Christ as Savior, do it today. Do it right now, even as I'm, as I'm talking. We'll have a time of response here in just a moment, but um, you don't have to wait. Confess your sins to God in prayer. Tell him that you trust in what Jesus did for you on that cross and that empty tomb to save you from your sins. If you've got questions on the back of our bulletin, explains what it means to be born again on our website, call me, text me, grab me. I'd love to help you understand um, what it means to be saved. You need to get that settled, friend. But for you who have a born-again Christian, you are a disciple. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. And as one, you have been given a co-mission, something that we are to all do together. Until he returns... Until he calls us home, we're to, as we are going, make disciples. We're to share the gospel with the lost. 
We're to share the gospel with the saved. We're to help people forward in their life in Christ. Sometimes that will look like you being a Barnabas, embracing some new Christian. Maybe they've got some work that Jesus still needs to do in their life. Maybe he wants to use you to help do that. Um, Still loving them, introducing them to other believers who can be involved in their disciple-making process. Sometimes it will look like serving in Awana uh, or Sunday school. You know, um, in Exodus 30, 50, we got the first record. A lot, a lot, we see a lot in Acts about people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know the first time anybody's described like that? It's in Exodus 30, 15, someone being filled with the Holy Spirit. And do you know what the individual did, what their ministry was? They were one of the artisans that God had work on the tabernacle. I mean, sometimes disciple-making means being on the hospitality committee or on the decorating committee. That's part of making disciples. It's part of creating the environment where disciples uh, can be made. Sometimes it'll look like serving in Awana or or Sunday school. Uh, Sometimes it might just be texting a Christian that you know is going through a rough spot, praying for them, reminding them of God's promises, his word, building them up, edifying them. That's how we multiply. That's how the Great Commission makes disciples. Don't don't let doubt get in the way of disciple-making. Making um, Maybe God's laying somebody on your heart this morning, and, and God's like, they need a Barnabas. I, w- I want you to be. I want you to be a Barnabas for them. Tell God you're willing to do that this morning, that, that you want to be used of him to help them on their journey with Christ. And I'm so thankful for all the Tabithas that God's blessed us with here already, but in reality, I hope we would all want to be a Tabitha, not the sewing thing. I, I don't care how much training I get, I can't put a button on a shirt. <laughs> All right, but, but a Tabitha in the sense, um, I want to be so valuable to the Lord and to the church that, that I'm, I'm with and that I'm serving. I want to be so valuable in the Great Commission that people will weep when God calls me home, uh, that, that they would plead that God might just send me back to help a little bit more. Here's the convicting question. Would there be a void of any substantial measure in Great Commission accomplishment if you were suddenly not here. I mean, man, I want to be a Tabitha, don't you? I want to be a Tabitha. I want to be used of God to the degree and making disciples and showing the love of Christ to others that there'd be a void if I was gone. And if you do too, won't you tell God that this morning? Tell him I'm done spending the entirety of my time on myself and on worthless pursuits in life, on things that don't have a shred of anything to do with a great commission. I'm done. Tell God this morning, I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be a Tabitha. I want to, with great joy, I want to serve you, serve your church, make disciples. I want to see people in heaven who are there because I did not sit on the sidelines. As Tommy comes and leads us in a time to respond, however the Holy Spirit's calling on you to do that today, I just ask that you'd obey.